can I say won't give it up? Crystal Waters, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, I'm pretty sure your husband Sturgis has done this before. And he brought whiskey. Mm. And you brought something else. So I like that this family is prepared for all occasions. It's true. (laughs) This is what happens when you have kids. You have to be prepared. You have to have all sorts of stuff at all time just mm-hmm. to be sure you have what you need when you need it. Um, so we were we were just wrapping briefly. You were born in Roseburg, Oregon, which is just north of Medford, right. Oregon. Right. But you left at five. Yes. Okay, so let's talk. I mean, well, this is how I like to start. Earliest musical memories maybe it was a record or a song that was on the radio that 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 you just kind of recognize like that moment when music became a thing and and you started to recognize maybe the power of it or its power over you or vice versa whatever can you can you think of a moment or a record or an instance where that happened yeah i definitely can it's i think it's one i think about a lot mm. And I think I was talking about it with someone earlier today. Funny you should ask that. So um, when I was, I don't know, I was probably less than five because mm. I think we were, we were living in Oregon. And my dad and his, his family, his sisters and brothers and his mom, my grandmother, would all sit around and they would sing harmony together. And oftentimes there would mm. be a fire going on and there was family and they were singing songs. Mm. A lot of them were like kind of folklore Hmm. sorts of songs and they sang and harmonized together really well and I remember like listening to that sound and the fire and like sometimes grandpa was smoking you smoke a pipe like Mm. a tobacco pipe Mm -hmm. smelled like cherry Mm -hmm. wood or something you know and it was just one of those things as a kid hearing those voices and all that that ambience too is just really cool and like a tactile like it's a full sensory because yeah. you're smelling something, there's a visual, and then you have the beautiful thing that we get to call blood harmony, yeah. which is, it's otherworldly, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you hear it, 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 I mean, just thinking about it, my my the hairs on my arm are like, Cause, yeah, because that's some special shit. It is. Do you come like? Is your family extended family kind of really musically inclined? They are to to different degrees, all mm-hmm. of them. My dad's side is uh, specifically in his family, some of his family kind of dates back into Polynesian um, mm. musicality. Like some of my family was uh, came from over from Hawaii. Really? On my dad's side and stuff like that. So some of them were really musical. Mm. And then my grandmother and some of them, there were some play playwright kind of people, like some writers and people like that who mm. did music in my family as well. Like like Broadway shit or um, and I don't Broadway know. or just musical no, theater? No, just musical theater sort mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And so, and then my grandmother, um, yeah, and my family just sang. And so it was just kind of something that they did together as a family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not that anybody was out performing on a nightly basis or anything like that. And my right. dad played guitar and he played a little bit of banjo, but he's kind of quiet, a little bit quiet. And so. And, and big families on either side? Yeah, my mom had seven, my dad had five. Wow. So, yeah, and then I think my mom loves to sing. She goes around singing all day long. She's yeah. got a good voice, but it's just not, you know, she never per- pursued music or anything. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right, so now tell me about kind of like growing up 
all over the country. You, I, I thought it was Oregon to Phoenix, but it wasn't that. So can you talk a little bit about how you got to Phoenix and, and some spots along the way, and then we'll go from there? Sure. Um, I, we, we moved, I think, almost five, every five years when I was young. So Oregon to Colorado. I lived in Pueblo, Colorado for about five years. And then I lived in Phoenix for about six or seven years. Okay. Fourth grade high school here. Uh huh. And then I left end of junior year of high school to go to South Florida with my mom. Oh, gosh. And so I finished up school down there. And when I was finished there, I left and I went back to Colorado. My dad was living in Colorado Springs at the time. And so I stayed there and I went to college for a little while. And that's where I picked up guitar. So I had a, some friends bought me a guitar. I worked at a TGI Fridays at the time. Hell yeah. And some how people many pins, I worked with. How many pins were on your... Was that the oh, one with so the, many. so many pins on the vest? Oh, yeah. We were crazy. <laughs> what are they called? What are they... Oh, um, from, um, flare. Flare. Flare, yeah. I had, oh, I had mad flare, <laughs> let me tell you. And some tights. Flare AF. Some, yeah. Uh, I was... Oh, we would sing for tables. Like, that's how oh. I met Laura. You know, did you know that? No kidding. Laura from the Wild Angels. No I kidding. met her in a snowstorm and we ended up working at TGI Fridays. I ended up getting a job there because there was a huge snowstorm. And so they needed. Wait, I don't understand. You were stranded by this snowstorm. You're like, I need a job now? Yeah, I ended up going to see some friends at TGI Fridays for something. And then there was a major blizzard. And I got snowed in at the restaurant with all these people who worked there. No way. So then they put us up in the hotel that was behind the restaurant. And like for two or three days, it was snowing so bad. The whole town was shut down. And then at some point, everyone was starving because there was no food. So they're like, we're going to open the restaurant up and just feed all these people in this hotel. Oh, my God. And I was like the only person who didn't work at TJ Fridays. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll do whatever you need. And so I was like seating tables running food. I was just like suddenly part of their crew or whatever. And so like the end of the day, they offered me a job and then I was like, all right. So I ended up working at Fridays meeting Laura. We started singing for tables and oh we, we'd have people like come and like sit in our section and we just like bust out sublime tunes, acapella and stuff like that Whoa! back in the day. And so, um, yeah, we, we make like mad tips, like I bet. singing for tables and TGI Fridays, you know? And so you, so you didn't do like the school band thing or you didn't learn an instrument like, like, you know, like school band shit. I did early, like I did clarinet. So mm -hmm. I knew how to read music and oh. I played piano a little bit as a kid, but I mean, these days I haven't read music in years. Right. So, I mean, it's not something that I followed in that direction. Right. And I didn't pick up a guitar till I was 19. Right. And what was that? So, I mean, what was that experience like? Like, do you remember the first song that you learned on guitar, or or did you start writing your own shit? Uh, I started writing my own stuff like right away, even though I only knew probably two and three chords. Right. And just learning to play the simplest things I could find. So after I got a guitar, I'd sit in the corner of like every party you know we'd go to or something, and yeah. I'd be trying to figure out how to play guitar. And this is Colorado Springs. In Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. And and just what's your age range at this point? So you said 19? So 19, 19, wow. 20 years old. Wow. Going to college, yeah, Pikes Peak down there. Whoa. All right, so, so at what point d does the realization come over you that, that you could kind of make money from this as opposed to, you know, waiting tables or whatever? Yeah. Or did that uh, come later? That came later. I kept waiting tables and then we start, you know, we went out and got our first few gigs and we recorded as a duo, as a duo Laura and I, yeah, okay. she wouldn't even take her guitar into our very first gig. She got so scared. She left her guitar in the car. 
She's like, you could deal. Like, you like, could what deal are you doing? This. She's like, nope, I'm not taking it in. I'm like, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, that's what happened. Where was the first gig? At Wooglin's Deli in Colorado Springs. Great oh, deli, yeah. by the way. No shit? Really good. Still around, too. Still around? Still around. Really good. All right, so you set up between the pastrami and yeah. the baked ham. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yep, exactly. Yep. Paid in provolone. Mm, yeah, but it was worth it. <laughs> Do you yeah. have any memories from that first gig? Like, oh, what were your nerves yeah. like? And what, what was the set list like? Like, anything like that? It was mostly a few songs. We'd written a couple songs, like, right away. We got together and wrote four songs. And we recorded an EP at our friend's house. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, probably knew another 10 or something like mm. that. Like, the cranberries probably some things like that mm-hmm. indigo girls hmm. um were those artists i mean let's you know barring the you know the, the the kind of prominent female vocalist thing were those two artists more influential than others or was it or, or like like listen i i loved the cranberries i loved the indigo girls mm-hmm. it didn't speak to me in a way that say james taylor did or fucking prince for that matter you know so what was it about that those two artists that spoke to you and and maybe it's as simple as or not um your vocal range you know i can sing these songs Mm -hmm. you know like do you remember like that connection i think there was probably several things but yeah i mean there there are things in your range also when you're Mm -hmm. females two girls singing harmonies you Mm -hmm. kind of there's some things that are very obvious like Mm -hmm. the indigo girls Mm -hmm. but they were great songwriters as well and great singers um, I mean, their harmonies were really fantastic. So I, I ended up liking a lot of that stuff. It's not exactly what I grew up with. But also hmm. I was um, really in, attracted by a lot of what the female artists were doing at that time when I was learning to play. Because it was like, this is what women are doing in music right now. And what is this, mid-90s? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mid-90s. Okay, so there's mm-hmm. like this renaissance, right? I mean, the whole Lilith. Lilith Lilith Fair was all coming up then. Yeah, Yeah, Tracy Chapman. Like there was was, women were kind of making Mm -hmm. a big movement in music at that time. So this this is exactly what I'm experiencing: learning guitar. You know, all these women becoming kind of powerful in music for the first time. So that was you know something to like think about and And, embrace. And what were the other artists maybe outside of that genre that were inspiring to you? Well, I grew up singing old country, Hmm. so I've always. There's some things I love about that, not newer country so much, mm-hmm. but um, so I think in the back of my mind or and underneath my music somewhere, there's just kind of always been this this old country vibe. It just kind of sneaks its way in. So there's stuff like that, but any particular artists? Um, Reba McIntyre was always one. Mm. Like sing, I grew a lot. I like grew up singing a lot of her music. Yeah. So stuff Reba. like that. Reba, Patsy Cline. Okay. Um. But old, yeah, like kind of that era. Of and that was introduced country. to you through your folks? through my mom, really, oh, mom, my yeah. mom mostly. And then yeah. dad was listening to you know James Taylor and that stuff, mm-hmm. stuff too. But it wasn't probably at my like playing level, getting as starting out as a new musician for sure. And probably less, you know, what I thought of when I was thinking about singing mm-hmm. as a female. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff I loved, Al Green and things like that. I grew mm-hmm. up with, but yeah. not the first things I gravitated uh, gravitated towards. Right, play right and okay so so mid 90s indigo girls a great time i mean really a great time for music period because i mean i don't know your thoughts on kind of late 80s but that did not speak to me you know late 80s 
the hair metal side of it didn't speak to me mm -hmm. as a vocalist. Yeah. But there was a lot of great music in the 80s, obviously. But it, it, took, it took a minute for me personally to attach to the 90s. And that was when I was like becoming a teenager and in high school. And I, can, I connected so deeply to the perfectly executed angst of grunge music. Did that mm. did that do anything for you? Like, were you yeah. as angsty as I was? <laughs> I enjoyed all of that. Absolutely, I did. And Nirvana and all of yeah. those kind of all the bands that were coming out during that time. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And of course, if my mom was not about it, I probably enjoyed it more because I was like, "Mom has been making me listen to way too much country music my whole life." <laughs> right. Well, and, and another thing is like, what is the music that defines you in your generation? Let's say, or your you know, th those very important formative years. And that was grunge for me. It was not my parents' music. They did mm. not listen to Even Flow or Alive or whatever. Right. And it just hit at the right spot. And so I can kind of understand, you know, that mid-90s great female singer-songwriter that would be an inspiration. Yeah. You know? And, and let, you know, let's be honest, that music isn't technically complicated. So right. you could pick up an acoustic guitar and get it over. Yeah, because I you wasn't know. taking guitar lessons either. It was just me trying to figure it out my way, you know, trying to play an instrument I didn't know. So so why did your friends buy you a guitar, it, like, just out of the blue? They knew I wanted one. I had a friend huh. who I'd go to his house, and we'd all hang out. You know, when you work in a restaurant, you know how, like, everybody yeah. hangs out at somebody's house. Yeah. And I'd, like, go over and steal his guitar all the time, and uh, I'd sit in the corner and just play his guitar. Yeah. And they'd be like, Crystal, are you going to come Where'd she go? hang out? Or just, <laughs> nope. No. Just, I'm just shedding on this Indigo Girls, too. i figure this thing out. Don't mind me. <laughs> so how long did you stay in, in Colorado? Um, I was there till just before 21. So I, I moved here right before I was 21. And then what, what brought you to Phoenix again? I came back here to play music, really, actually. Really? Um, I was in Colorado Springs, but we were playing in it. It's just a small town. Yeah. And I lived here and I had friends here and I knew people here and I knew it was a bigger city. Huh. So I was like, let's go. Let's, I dragged Laura out here with me. She'd never been to Phoenix. Wow. And so I was like, let's go we'll find a band. We'll find some people. We'll figure out how to play music in Phoenix. Wow. <laughs> so. And that's, and that's when you started the band with her, the, the four piece down here. The Wild Angels. Yeah. Wild that Angels. ended up in the way. Yeah. We found a drum and bass and lead guitar. So yeah. it ended up being a five. Okay. Um, once we had the full band going, but yeah, and then we did that for a number of years. How long did that take? I mean, to put that band together. Hmm. And is this like late nineties now, early two thousands? This is early two thousands. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So we came back here just before two thousand, and then probably two thousand one, we had a a five piece band started. And uh, can you say who was in that band, and maybe some of the places you were playing, and maybe what that repertoire looked like? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Jason Williams was in that band as the bass player. He was not the original bass player. There was one guy right before him that we didn't keep for very long. <laughs> <laughs> no name. No names. And I met Jason Williams on 9-11, so we, we never forget that. And oh, wow. He, he, uh, he was just starting to learn how to play the bass, actually, and his uh, first gig with us at Bar Winkles. What is that? No, it's no. like this little dive bar on the west side of town. Hmm. So uh, he's going to play bass with us for like the first show ever. And we get there and he's pretty new to bass, but he's been a guitar player for a long time. So he's kind of faking the bass more, more yeah. than anything, but yeah. he can do it. Yeah. And he's got a ton of personality if we don't know him. 
I and, don't know. And so he, but he's facing the back of the room and we keep like being like, Jason, turn, you, have you have to turn, turn around. around. You have to face the front. Yeah, face front. Face front. Yeah, can't do it. <laughs> so, I feel like, I feel like, you know, I, you know, we both love Jay Allen and he's like, you know, 90% of why I was hired <laughs> was because like I had a good personality, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was a good hang and I was fun to be around. Right. And it sounds like this Jason Williams was kind of the same thing. Totally. Yeah. And if you've ever <laughs> seen him play, you, you, you can immediately tell why, because he's got a vibe and like yeah. he's a great bass player now, and he became a great bass player like very quickly. Yeah. He figured it out, and yeah. but you know you love him watching him on stage because he's just the energy. He's energy, a personality, yeah, and and that makes up for the lack of like technical right, skill, totally, and a great under, hang. Yeah, a hang, the hang. Let's always, talk about the hang. Always makes always up for lack of skills, right? So, okay, right, so Wild Angel. All right, so uh, okay, so you and Laura and Jason, and who was on drums? We had a few different drummers over the years. Dan Petrosino yeah. uh, was one of them. He he played with us for a while. Yeah. And Bobby Thompson. And like, what were those early gigs like? Where, where, where did you Where did you play? And and oh gosh, all over. What was the place on the east side that was like um, red? Club Red. Club Red. We played there with the full band. I mean, Hell we ended yeah. up in the craziest of places. Like, we ended up in Battle of the Bands at the Hard Rock Cafe a couple times. I feel like I did that too. But I, I don't know how but, that happened. But, it was probably, <laughs> but I feel like it was like 2004 or five, mm. something somewhere around there. And then of course, St Sturgis was lead guitar. Yeah, he was the second lead guitarist actually. But yeah, yeah, he. Do you kind of regret hiring Sturgis over the first lead guitar, or? No, no, not at <laughs> all. <laughs> we love you, Sturgis, so much. We miss you. Where fact, are you? I think he played. Um, every position in the band at one time for a Sturgis moment did, yeah. before he became the lead. Yeah. <laughs> he, like for a minute he had to fill in on bass for something and right. then he was like the drummer for a few gigs. And yeah. then... I had no idea who was a drummer. Yeah. He started out as a drummer. Good God. That guy. Yeah. He's got no too fear. much talent. I'm a little envious. Yeah. All right. So wild angels, you're mucking it up around town. Are you like, are you living with Laura at this point? Mm -hmm. All right. And, and where's the crib? Just to get a sense of geography, oh, like, where, like where'd you guys land? Wait, our second place we landed was a place on Thomas and 16th street. It was like one house and across from apartment complex and a dirt field, mm -hmm. like one house. There's like no other houses around uh -huh. here and we don't, this was a really bad idea, but it was a really cool, like vibey home vibey. It like had mirrors, it had a loft that was completely mirrored. Oh. Um, yeah, it was, it had quite a vibe. Let me tell you this place. Hmm. <laughs> well, and I, and I love that you say it was across from a dirt lot because when I moved here coming from the East coast, I was like, I can't believe that this size city has this many dirt lots. There's right. no free space in Boston. There's no free space in Manhattan, you know, and I come up here and I was like, how is this, how is this whole block just dirt? Yeah. Like what's going on here? It's weird. I mean, it certainly has changed. And I want to tell you, the first time that I saw you in Sturgis, it must have been 2004, I was living downtown at the Met, which was like Fillmore and 3rd Street. <clears throat> and so we would walk to the Arizona Center, and one of the closest bars was Seamus McCaffrey and Monroe's. Mm, Monroe's, yeah. I loved Monroe's. 
And I remember going in there one night, and you and Sturgis were, were playing as a duo. So I don't know at, at what point the Wild Angels ceased to exist, but I remember sitting there and thinking, this shit is too good for this spot. And feeling really inspired. A, that you can take a cover tune and make it your own. I didn't really know what that was at that point. And just the chemistry between you two, the, the way your guitar playing and Sturgis's guitar playing really complemented each other and the way that you made the tunes your own. I thought, I was like, the, it, it, not, not in the sense that, oh, if they can do it, I can do it, but it's possible, you know? And so I wanted to thank you uh, for giving me some ins inspiration right when I moved here because I moved from Phoenix to get away from music and to be like, oh, God, this looks fun. This sounds fun. And they're doing it in their own way. And they're having a fucking ball, you know? Yeah. So anyway. Oh, cool. Thanks. I appreciate it. Of that. course. But downtown Phoenix at that time, and, and I'm sure 16th Street and, and Thomas were like, it's kind of a wasteland, you know? And there's these little pockets of things that are happening. But but overall, it's like very strange to come from the East Coast and move. I'm sure in Colorado is the same way. But anyway, so, okay, so Wild Angels kind of does its thing. At what point do you and Sturgis kind of start to formulate the duo thing? We were kind of there happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So the Waters, who was originally called Spoiled. Oh. Um, <laughs> I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't be telling our deep, dark secrets, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I love early band names, right? I won't, I won't bore you with mine, but spoiled is, is nice. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> was there's so. like a, was there like a weird spelling, like S P O Y L E D or some shit? <laughs> it would have been better if there was, but no, it's just, just like it. Sounds. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, they were kind of starting simultaneously, but he and I were kind of getting together more originally for the writing aspect mm -hmm. is what caused us get it, to get together. Cause he was like, well, I write music and I was like, I do lyrics and I would be fun to, to do that with somebody who's not playing the guitar parts I would normally play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at first I was just like, I want to hear somebody play something different and try to write to that. Yeah. You know, cause you, yeah. you're same old shit. You, get, of course. You, you, do, you get in your right of what you do Yeah. as a songwriter, I feel like. And so that was fun just to be like, let's get together. He played such a unique style compared to me. Yeah. It was very almost Dave Matthews, busy, real funky. Like, yep. it was just very different from what I played. Yeah. So it was fun to just kind of get together and write stuff. Yeah. And then as Wild, Wild Angels, he was part of the band for a time. And then Wild Angels kind of disbanded only unintentionally. Mm. Like Laura was going back to Colorado Springs to be close to family because she had a kid. Mm a baby now and wanted to be closer to family. And we mm -hmm. almost went, we were like on our coattails really leaving about out the door. And we were just like, I can't do it. And it was mostly just because that Phoenix had grown so much musically and yeah. Colorado Springs we thought had kind of grown, mm. but it hadn't grown as much as Phoenix had grown musically. And it was like, we'd put so much energy and kind of built stuff here. Yeah. And I was like, going there is really like starting over and hard right now. So I think I, I can't leave. Kind of going backwards. Yeah, right? it was. Yeah. I mean, so it man. was hard. We couldn't do it at the last minute. We were like, I can't come. Yeah. 
fuck. We I mean, built too much here. Like here, her husband at least had another job and like things like that. Right. Everything in her life was not fully based on music, like both right. of ours, you know? So. Right, right. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I, I, I had a very similar experience. I, I got here and, and, and shortly thereafter, I was like, I don't, I'm not going back to Massachusetts. I just can't do it. There's so much opportunity that you can make a living as a performing musician, which was very intriguing to me at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I'll, I'll edit all this out. Don't worry. <laughs> the sounds of me drinking in my microphone, like. Clink, clunk, clunk. Yeah. <laughs> all right, good. <laughs> You're no. not going to get all of that out, I promise. <laughs> I'm trying, though. <laughs> no, it's all good. If this is the worst of it, I tell you, this has been way worse. Um, no, I, I, I felt the same way. There's something intriguing about Phoenix and, and the, the growth and the attention to downtown and the, and the venues that were kind of starting up. And I don't know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't leave. And I felt like going home was not the move. And, and, um, just the musicians here in the venues, there was something very intriguing about it and, and very different from what I was used to. Um, so walk me through, because again, like I looked at you guys as the model of working musicians, you know, and you guys are playing, like, what was it about Irish pubs? Because I know you played a bunch of them. What was it about that 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 you guys latched on to? And, and it could be as simple as they were hiring, they were paying, it's steady work, and we could work our shit out. It could be as simple as that. Totally. That's probably how it all really started and panned out. I mean, the Dubliner yeah. being the first one and... They gave us an opportunity. They said, you know, probably saw some potential in these two girls who were getting their shit together and was mm-hmm. like, hey, people might come watch this. And, and I, I think our banter was probably far better than our guitar skills at the <laughs> time. You know? So, yeah, um, that's probably where and it grew, you know, word of mouth gets around. So like one turn gig turned into every Irish pub in town. So suddenly right. we were like, we don't even play Irish music. What are we doing here? And what but you, it didn't matter. And what? And so this is still with Wild Angels, or yeah, mostly. Okay. And then Sturge started integrating into some of those when Laura wasn't there to play and things. Gotcha. It was kind of like he started filling that gap as she was having children, you know, right. having her first baby and things like that. So it was kind yeah. of just naturally all occurring at the same time. Yeah, and you're writing your own music, kind of all along this time, or was there a specific moment where you focused on it more or less? Um. All along, I, mean, I feel like there are, you know, chunks of time that mm-hmm. happen where you get to write and then nothing happens for a while and things happen and you can write. Mm-hmm. I usually try to be keep it running in the background even when it's not happening, but mm-hmm. I think kind of, yeah, off yeah. and on just all the time. Yeah. Ebbs and flows and... Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, th- this is no spoiler alert, but you eventually marry Sturgis. <gasps> oh my God. Did I just blow, your, <laughs> blow up your scene? <laughs> And, and I feel like th- that you guys took this, this next step up and I don't know, I, I, this is, this is kind of a nebulous question, but how did you go from, or, you know, was it intentional or not? Or what were the steps that, that kind of elevated you from Irish pubs and, and no shame against that. Everyone has played those gigs but you guys, you guys really leveled up. And do you, do you remember, like, was it a conscious decision? Was it like, I don't I just, 
I, you know, as a, as a young singer-songwriter, young, I'm probably older than you, but, you know, watching you guys evolve, thinking, well, how do I do that? You know, and how did you guys do that? I think part of it um, came with having kids. Um, and part of it happened because we were kind of growing together and we were kind of leveling up in some ways, I think, in our own, just stepping up. We, like, reached a different level of skill at one moment. Like, it was... I think I suddenly had a realization that we had something really cool mm -hmm. and that like we played well together. Not that I never didn't realize that before. Right. But I think too, it was like, okay, let's, we need to get this out of Irish pubs all the time. We should be doing something a little more sophisticated with them. Mm -hmm. It's been fun to be like, okay, like make us drink all night long and let's have fun all the time. But like sometimes right. it's like, we want to kind of mature. Our, our music is maturing and we're maturing mm -hmm. and we want to have kids and we don't want to have to be in crazy bars till 2am every right. morning. And like, right. So I think everything kind of reached a maturity level that it kind of just kind of grew to another phase yeah. for us. Yeah. Well, it is. it has been really awesome to watch you guys balance those things because I would imagine having young kids, you know, and, and trying to pursue music would, would be a challenge. And can you speak to how, how it works? I mean, like, you know, having grandparents around or I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't have kids and I'm still mucking it up in Irish pubs, so I'm <laughs> fucked. You know? No, but, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure there's a variety of things, but and I've talked to other folks about it, um, fathers and mothers, about how they balance being a parent. And did you ever see it as one or the other? I mean, clearly not because you're still doing both, but like... <sighs> And again, this is like a very nebulous question, but like, how do you prioritize? And, and, and maybe that's, and maybe that's it. It's like the priority is obviously the kids, but you're still musicians and writers and, and performers and artists. So finding, just finding the way to do them both very effectively. Yeah. It's, it's challenging. I think, especially as they get older in some ways, when they were little, it was amazing. We got to spend a lot of time with them and we got to have maybe an experience that not every parent gets to have where you, we got to be home with them, both of us mm. all day, every day mm. when they were really little. Mm -hmm. So that was amazing. But now that they're getting older and we play out at night, it's like trying to find ways to balance that for us because they're gone all day. And then right. now our night, our night jobs are coming up and we're like, I've only seen you for two hours today right. and I don't want to leave. So now for me, I feel like it's making the gigs more valuable mm so that it's worth my time to leave them mm -hmm. because otherwise it's not even worth my time. I'm like, I love, I want to go play shows, but it's like, make every gig count, yeah. you know? So it's like, don't pay, play the most valuable gigs to you for all the reasons, mm -hmm. whether it's financially valuable or it's, you know, emotionally valuable. Mm -hmm. Your time is like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It makes it a little more valuable. I feel like, like, you know, if you're going to be away from the people that you love. Right. So right. better make it count. Yeah, you got to kind of make it. And I and I love to go out and play. And I'm like, oh, this is my time away from my kids. It's fun. Right. You know, I get to be like, I'm not mom for a few minutes. Right. But also, like, I'm away from my kids, so I want it to count. Right. Because of the people I want to be spending my time with. So. Yeah. Um, Are they getting into music at all? I mean, can I just say uh, for the listener, uh, when I walk into your house, I, I am always in awe of the instruments. Great, beautiful guitars. 
drum set, everything's ready. Like, are the kids like stepping up and like playing and tink playing tinkering? On the, tinkering. Sorry, I was gonna say pinkering. Yeah, it's a cross between tinkering and having pink eye. It's a it's a it's a viral disease. <laughs> well, similar to music. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on who you've been hanging out with. <laughs> oh man, yeah, they're we're not we're not pushing. Yeah, I guess that's what I would say yeah. about it. It's like they both love music, being around it. They go yeah. in and they tinker on the piano at times cool. and drums. And friends come over and we let them sure. play with whatever they want. Yeah, as long as they're not beating the piano with the drumsticks. Right, right, fine. You're right. But um, as soon as they really show an inclination in any direction. Well, of course. And you said, Nudge, gently. Sit, yeah. <laughs> gently push gently. them over the cliff. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, you know, you hate with a house like full of music, uh, musical equipment yeah. to go. I didn't get any kids who had any. Right. They didn't even care about music. We'd be like, are you kidding me? Yeah. We've been working so hard. <laughs> so, so six and nine. So there n- no lessons, no piano lessons. No, you're going to learn something, something. Yeah, at some point I like. I think they will. And um, and sorry, in, if you're nine years old, what grade are you in? So she's about just about to turn nine, and so she's in third grade. Oh, oh okay, okay. So she's yeah. got a couple of years before you start to pressure her. So yeah, <laughs> the pressure's not on yet. Yeah. I'm like okay, but, but she sings a lot. They both like to sing. Yeah, and they've got different inclinations. Like he's got good tone, and he's the younger one. Yeah, but she, um, she's got like a unique. She can like kind of like sing rap and she's got a lot of personality and uh-huh. they have different things that yeah. you're like i can you can see their innate talent yes you know what i'm saying is yeah at the age they're at yeah so it's fun to watch that's kind of cool yeah is there a music program at their schools yeah they are they've started doing some different things so they're messing around with pianos and ukuleles uh-huh. and singing so they're kind of just starting to get involved through school good because fourth grade was a big year for me mm-hmm. that was when it was like you have to pick an instrument. Yeah. I mean, so, did, did, did I'm not you, sure if that's what's coming. That's what happened for yeah, me. That was right, clarinet. And, and that was clarinet. Yeah. Right. I was and, like, oh, I can't have a saxophone. Then give me a clarinet. <laughs> I mean, why couldn't you have a saxophone? I don't know why my school didn't have a saxophone. And they that's didn't what I have wanted. a saxophone. No, you like that was like the thing. What kind of fucking commie know. bullshit is this? Glendale. Just saying. Glendale, get your shit together. This is some. <laughs> you made a, a, You made a, a huge mistake. We need to get some saxophones over there in Glendale. Crystal Crystal Waters, the incredible sax player. You missed it. Could have been. Could have been. been. Oh, man. I still regret uh, it. Let's take a short break, but then we'll come back. Sounds good. I swear. (laughs) (laughs) I've been working on some new legs. Something to put a spell on you, make you feel that way again. Same sweet way you used to. I've been pulling all the cards Yeah, I thought my hand was loaded Why's it gotta be so hard? Used to be so easy But now it's pokers, pokers One, two, three What you I've been 
So let's talk about Hocus Pocus. Okay. When did it come out? Just around Halloween this year. Last year. Just last year. Yeah, sorry. All right. So, and when and when did the song start? Mm, I probably wrote it a few years ago. Yeah. Four or five, maybe even. Okay. Maybe four or five years ago I wrote yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, well, I COVID happened, so like there was right. like a three-year time right. warp, and and that and that's one thing that I I love to talk with creatives about is how you stayed creative during that time. But all right, so this is a song that's been kind of rattling around for a minute, mm-hmm. and and you found someone to help you uh, realize it. Yeah, and that is Dominic. Provenzano. Provenzano. <laughs> see, see, see. Okay. <laughs> Dominic Provenzano. Okay, so shout out Dominic. Uh let's get you on the pod. But uh and great and, and great job on the production. Um talk to me about who's on who's playing, what the inspiration for the song was, like a little bit about it. Okay, well, the inspiration for the song, uh, it actually came out of the songwriter's circle thing. So yeah. I, I, probably some people have talked about that on oh, this yeah. podcast, I'm guessing. Yeah, hell yeah. But um, Which it was is one awesome. of our topics. That's can, how Hoc- Hocus Pocus was the topic. Can you talk about that? Because I looked on in Envy and also I didn't. I was like, I can't be held accountable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's the, and, that, mm-hmm. and that's a shitty thing that for me, because I loved so, so many of our friends had great things that come out of it. And, and I thought, I, I just, I don't know. I can't, I don't, I won't. Anyway, tell me about that process because that was a beautiful thing that you guys put together. It was, it was, it was just a random, it came, I, I mean, I think it would, it originally had heard about it from some Austin cats who'd been mm. doing this kind of stuff and the kind of rumor had floated this way about what was going on. Mm. And so I was like, let's try it. Let's. And who's in that original group? Um, Jay Allen was one of them. Jason Williams, the bass player, yep. but he's also a great songwriter. Um, mm-hmm. He wrote some amazing songs in that whole time period. And when um, was this? Was this, this was pre-COVID? Yeah, this was all pre-COVID, probably even longer ago than, you know, just before that. It's probably five to 10 years, the last five to 10 years. That's probably where that all began. And so, yeah, we all just, we'd meet at the Dubliner when we do open mic, people would throw some ideas into a hat. We'd pull a topic and we'd come back next week and you'd play your song. Oh my God. So we all had this one line or idea that we had to write and we'd have a week to just come back with stuff. So I need that. It was great. It's great practice. I know. I mean, not everything that came out of it was amazing. Right. But it was but that's really the working the muscle. Yeah, it was working exactly. the muscle, which is what you have to do oh to get something great, I yeah, think. I agree. So um, the accountability was what I important. needed yeah. and important. I had a lot more time in my life then than I do now, which is why I'm not doing it right. now. Because since kids, this really hasn't been happening for me. <laughs> right. But a lot of great work came out of it for several writers. Um, I mean... <sighs> So this was one of my favorites that came out of it, really. Accountability as a songwriter. And, and well, I'll, I will say this. I need the accountability. I have friends who don't need the accountability. They will write songs uh, ad nauseum. Not in a bad way, but they just, they churn shit out. And, yeah. I, and I'm not like that. I'm like, wait until lightning strikes. And that lightning, when it doesn't strike... You start to like, can I even say I'm a songwriter anymore? You know, I, 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 
I have written songs. Am I currently writing a song? No. Yeah. So the accountability, it's like it, it, that whole thing, that whole thing. And what was it called? Songwriter circle. Songwriter circle. Yeah. It's, it's like terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. Mm, definitely. But I, I, I need to exercise that muscle again, you know, and you talked about COVID, you know, and, and I, I personally found that, that I, I just realized that I don't have anything to say and, and who am I and who am I anyway, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this huge like as existential thing anyway, but all right. So Hocus Pocus comes out of this exercise where you would meet every week and pull a, a slip of paper, a slip of paper that had a couple words on it and you had to deliver a song the next time. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that. Yeah. So it's like, what am I going to do with this Hocus Pocus idea? I came home and that one actually, you know, when a song just really comes like one mm-hmm. line start mm-hmm. to finish, it's mm-hmm. just like, yep. And so, um, kind of ironically just happened that way, hmm. but that doesn't always happen. So right. that's not always the case or usually right. the case, but it right. was one of those. So, um, but yeah, then it just kind of sat around for a while and, uh, and it, it you recorded what a demo of it at, at home, or you worked with Sturgis on it? And, no, I'd done and nothing. It. it had oh, yeah. it had been just kind of. I played it out here and there on occasion. But you must have played it that following week. I played it the following week, uh-huh. and then I just, started playing it just on solo occasion. acoustic. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And then it just kind of hung out a little bit until a few months ago when I was like, I have not done anything creative at all. Hmm. I've not I've not been in a studio. I've not recorded anything of my own yeah and i've done little bits for other people and things like that but i haven't just really taken any of my songs that i've written in the last few years and mm-hmm. just so I, I that's why i called dominic and i was like you've got a studio down the street can i just come record a song i want to hear what you can do with it i want to hear you do something you've got some yeah. cool ideas i think and i just kind of want to see what somebody else uh-huh. i've got some ideas for it but i want i want to see what you think like what uh-huh. you want to do with it and it was uh-huh. cool i kind of just came up like gave him some free reign yeah. I didn't have her plan from the beginning at all. I literally didn't even know what song I was going to walk in and do. Huh. Picked it on the fly. Like everything kind of just happened on the fly with it. But it was. Provenzano. It was fun though. Uh, it was much fun. Uh, so and uh, Roy played on the Roy drums. Cameron. Roy Cameron God, on drums. God bless that ginger. And yeah, I know. He did great. That's and then so Sturge, of course, came and laid down his yeah. amazing yeah. grooves. Yeah. And uh, we had a few. Uh, Dominic played some small parts. Yeah. Um, and some keys. of the synthy bits. Yeah, some of the synthy. But another friend of ours, I I think they both have some parts that they yeah. kept for those. Um, Electrosad, she's what she goes under, and she's got a really cool thing. Electrosad. Electrosad. Yeah, so that's her Instagram. Cool. Um, but yeah, and then uh, Sturge, I think ended up he went over and re- redid the bass on it and stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's awesome. But it's fun. I think that one one silver lining of of COVID and the lockdown was that everyone kind of got their home studio together, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, if I can't go to the studio, I'm going to do everything I can to do what I can at my crib. Right. And then the beauty is we have the technology now that you can farm shit out and, and Roy can cut a whole drum thing and send it over and you can mix it down. And, and I, 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 you know, I'm always looking for silver linings of fucking COVID, but I feel like that's a tangible thing that actually happened was that people took home recording seriously. Yeah, definitely. And, and how awesome to take a song that 
came from nothing, came from a, from a slip of paper where you really had no entry to and you created this beautiful thing. It definitely has, for my ears, it has like a Fleetwood Mac vibe, the drums, the tonally sound, you know, like great, nice tubby, you know, tubby drums and, mm-hmm. and the groove is great and, and your vocals are great and, and what Sturgis did was great. And, and let's talk about, you know, COVID and how that affected your productivity and your creativity. How did that affect how you wrote or how you write and, and what, like, what's your silver lining from that moment? Well, and it doesn't have to even be music related. It can be other shit. You had time with your family, you know, that was, that was amazing, especially at a time where you feel like you're really stressed out because you both just, we both lost our jobs essentially. That didn't happen. I I don't realize sometimes talking to other people that that wasn't their situation. Mm. I'm like, Oh, our situation was really unique. We both were full-time musicians. And so suddenly we found ourselves in a place with two children where we're like, y'all just both lost your jobs. Right. And I'm like, oh, other people's lives just went on. Some of them as as they always had. Or better. Or better. You Financially know? <laughs> speaking. You right, know. exactly. And I yeah. thought, wow, that's it. it was interesting. So the experience, it did have its silver linings in a lot of ways. I had more family time than yeah. I never had. I got to go. I traveled and saw some family I hadn't seen because I was like, I have no job. Right. And I didn't have to take off of work to go do this. So I'm going to take advantage of that. But um you also feel like how powerful the moments that you get being creative are. And so Mm -hmm. getting out and playing gigs at home, I was like, what do I do? I'm going stir crazy. Mm -hmm. So even just like you said, people getting their home studios together at a time where we didn't have any money, we were suddenly finding ourselves buying studio things that we could use to try to reach our audience or our people and connect with them because not only was it important for that, it was important for us. Right. We're like for our sanity. That was, I mean, that I was, was like, we are for real going to lose our minds in our yeah. house. Like, yeah, we have to do this, whatever the cost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a good point. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I need to really reach my fan base because they probably miss me. No, it mm-hmm. was like, I need to reach them so I can go to sleep tonight. Otherwise mm-hmm. I'm totally fucked. Yeah, completely. Yeah. It's like, it's like basically like your therapist just yeah. like decide, you know, killed themselves or something you're like what like i'm counting on like talking to you this week right i need this right like you're not going to be there this is not okay for me (laughs) right right and and what a big realization for me was just how kind of cathartic and therapeutic performing is even even if it's a less than ideal gig it's still a release an emotional release Mm -hmm. that was gone in an instant Right. And even even those shitty, quote unquote, shitty gigs that, that we all do from time to time. Um, I missed those. I just needed connection. I needed right. to play for people, even if they didn't like it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And that and that, that and that was a crazy headspace to be in. It was. Know? It was. It was a very vulnerable feeling, I feel like. <clears throat> and the other thing is the interesting thing I think that we noticed is that. Um, it's very strange because you're not feeling your room. And so even mm. as it, as an mm-hmm. attached you were to this audience that you were, who was seeing you and talking to some of them afterwards or seeing their comments mm-hmm. was really valuable in so mm-hmm. many ways because they really needed it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you got to get inside of the heads of some of the people 
who might have been normally sitting in a room not clapping or mm-hmm. not saying anything to you or not coming up. But because the only way they really had to say anything to or address what they were going through was to text or, you know, type in this little bubble on mm-hmm. Facebook or wherever you were mm-hmm. performing right. online or whatever and say something to you. And you realize like what they were going through and how important it kind of was to them and how yeah. it was affecting their lives that they weren't getting out and seeing live music or right. what, you know, the other side of things. So it was cool in a weird way because like, yeah, you, it was a different sort of connecting with people, it, I guess. It, yeah. And, but it was also, you know, and I want to talk to you actually about, you know, the, the actual rig because I, you know, right when it happened, I, I, I got a little, um, iPhone external mic and I got a little stand that I could put it on and I got a, you know, I, you know, these little logistical things that, that kind of grew out of the pandemic Mm -hmm. that I, I don't even know where those things are anymore, which is great because fuck those things. (laughs) But I'm, you know, so the, the technology grew as, as it went on and on and you guys did live streams. Yeah. And so talk to me about, that process because I'm, you know, I'm dear friends. Obviously we are dear friends with, with Matthew Thornton and, and we were kind of going through this and what'd you get? All right, yeah. <laughs> how do I do this? All right. So what, what are you doing here? And, and what, what's the technology, technological thing that you're doing that I'm missing, you know? So how did you guys get in front of that? Yeah. Well, I think Sturgis was um, watching all of you guys were all communicating <laughs> <laughs> this time and going, what are we doing? What's everyone doing? How's this? Wh- I'm listening. I'm what listening works to your, the best. This yeah. isn't working. This right, doesn't sound right. good. This sounds good. Right. Right. <laughs> so thank right. God I have Sturgis. Yeah. He's a, he's a tech is, guy. He's a techie. Yeah. I'm like, perfect. I am not a techie. I am not a techie. I don't. I, yeah. So I was I singing was, into the fucking iPhone on a on a little <laughs> stand. I still got the little stand. Yeah, sitting in this corner. I mean, it's like, what the fuck, bro? Step it up. You know. Oh yeah. Thank God for him because yeah. I'd be in the dark ages for real <laughs> in the dark ages. And I was, I was like, you have this covered. I know. I'm not going to do a single thing that's going to help you with that. <laughs> so I'll try to keep our children alive and um, see if I can get us a music grant of some right, kind right, because uh, right. that's what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so I remember you guys were in the lounge area and there was a, there was kind of a, you know, a, a whatever, a static thing and, and, but you guys were interacting in a way that I hadn't seen before. So can you just talk briefly about the, yeah. how that all worked out? Because it, I was impressed with how sharp it looked. It looked like it had a higher production value than say what the fuck I was doing with, with fucking mic stands and some bullshit and. <laughs> extended fucking exterior <laughs> but anyway i'm swearing too Sturgis much i'm sorry mom will I'm not let that shit go down yeah. he won't i'm yeah. sorry he yeah. like i'll be like oh we can get away with this and like people won't even care and he's like no, no. we cannot yeah that is not happening right. i'm like okay that's clearly not <laughs> happening well whatever you want to do is going to be better so let's do that right. right um so uh but yeah his production value and it got yeah. better and better of yeah. course as they went along i'm like oh my gosh we're having com- do you did you see some of the commercials no, we I had didn't. he like pulled, yeah. he pulled some old school commercials like like old school soda commercials and stuff out of like our early uh, years our, uh, yeah. that were pretty funny. No that, shit. Like, and he I, just put and he in? would like interject them at like some funny times and stuff. Yeah, I, he was having a little more fun. Yeah. All right. He, well, and he's great at this kind of stuff. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. If he was, he should be doing this more. Yeah. 
it just it brought out this side of him and he had time to do it. So yeah. it was great because it's what he should be doing. Well, and, and how much how much of that time during COVID in, in the lockdown, like how much time did you put into that thing? Was it kind of haphazard? Not haphazard, but like when possible or? No, he, I mean, it, at some point we were probably playing his show like five times a week. Oh, no shit. Four or five nights a week we yeah. were at some points. Um, but we, what we found was hard for kids because right. it was like, go to bed. We already put you to sleep like right. five times. And like, right. we're trying to like record a pot, you know, a show or something. Mm-hmm. And we're like, Oh, this is hard. And Sunday we, Sundays we'd bring the kids in mm-hmm. and like do a family thing. Cause it was like, we have nothing to do with our kids. So right. let's just like have fun. Yeah. But that was the other part of it. I think, um, because Sturgis never has a microphone right on stage. And so there was definitely a huge audience who were, who were like, there's something so awesome about hearing you and Sturgis talk to each yeah. other because they never hear us talk. Right. And he won't have a microphone on stage. He says he's allergic. I don't believe it. Don't. That's not a thing, Sturgis. It's not, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. But I think people really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it yeah. too because I'm used to having someone to, to talk to you on yeah, stage. Yeah, interact, banter. Yeah, when talking to yourself on stage when there's another person right. is kind of annoying. I'm not going to lie. Right. You know? Right. I'm like, I'm, I'm carrying on half of a conversation with a room and they're not getting half of it. And, right. And it kind of like they're missing out. Especially in a duo scenario that that banter, whether he or she sings or not, mm-hmm. is fine. But having a conversation that everyone can hear is very important. Right. Just and- to the vibe of the of the show. And and Yeah. 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 And he's really funny too. That's the other he's thing is funny. and most people I mean, wouldn't he's okay funny. You know. He's fine. He's funny. He's all right. All right fine. He's all right. Okay. So, yeah. you know, maybe he should have a microphone. I think he should for sure. I think he should for sure. And maybe but. it's but like a headset, like a like the <laughs> like the Phil Collins thing. That's so he can prance around, you know, because he It'd likes be to dance. Well, if he would dance, then he I would get him dancing. a I would oh. Oh, You've seen him dancing, oh, huh? Well, I've been around some places, dark, mm. dark bars, real dark, real dark. <laughs> <laughs> so how did um, so how did COVID affect your creativity? Did you find that you were writing more during that time, or just kind of focusing on family and making sure the ship doesn't sink? Uh, I was doing a lot of that. Yeah, um, I was writing lyrics but not having time to put them to paper yeah i mean as far as like put them to music and stuff like that i was actually i made a list at one point like when covid happened i was like oh here's all this shit i'm gonna get done Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm gonna Mm. write all these songs Mm. and do all this stuff and you know i did make some really good sourdough bread Mm. which was Mm. good but um not enough songwriting actually Mm. fully took place did I was not I was not inspired in the least. I was struggling more. I was ninety <laughs> percent struggling and the last thing I thought was, Oh, you know what the world needs right now? One of my songs. You know, I just I I wanted to curl up in the fetal position in the corner and wake up and have it all be over. Mm. I mean it was a very dark, uh challenging time for me and, and yeah. I'm not fucking around. It was like a existential crisis. Like who am I if I can't be a performing musician? Yeah, somebody taking your, your, your identity. Who, your, yeah, yes. your who away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Who are you? This is who I am. It was, uh, anyway, we're out of it, I think. 
Yeah, it definitely feels a lot more that way, I think, for the most part. I mean, I mean, you guys are back to kind of pre-pandemic vibes. Yeah, I feel like things are getting there. I mean, some of the some of the places are probably still working on bigger budgets. I feel mm-hmm. like people, you know, are still struggling financially, some businesses. Mm. Of mm. a couple of years of having a business that's, you know, been going through COVID right. um, type, depending on who you were as a mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, is it, is it probably, I mean, I've seen a lot of price increases, you know, from places that you go, this place must have been struggling for these three years. They're, mm-hmm. Luckily, they're still alive because a lot of those places weren't alive at the end of all of that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's coming back. I mean, mostly coming back around I and mean, prices are going up and people are having to compensate. And right. I guess that's just the state of the world. And, and I feel like, you know, corporate stuff and weddings are coming back and yeah. every resort is like, let's go. Please. Yeah. I think you everybody's know. ready to go. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> that's fucking good. <laughs> Turn it on. When, um, when did you have the idea to do Jubilee in the desert and tell me what that is? Okay. Well, Jubilee in the Desert is the assisted living home that I own with my sister here in Phoenix, Glendale area. And the idea's been there a long time. So uh, I've always been in the environment. I grew up almost from the time I was born. And I lived in an assisted living home until I was 10 years old. So my mom started one right after I was born, took care of elderly, Mm. and then when I was 10, I moved out and we had our own home outside of our assisted living home, but my mom still ran one, owned Mm -hmm. one. So I would always go there, and well, I mean, I was there most of the time, but even after that, I would go there, and I had all these surrogate grandparents, and I helped my mom, and I loved it. Yeah, I grew up and heard their stories, and I don't know, I just had like a deep respect for elderly people Yeah, all of my life because of that, and so... I'd been thinking about it before my kids were born. I'd already owned the property. I used to live there, Sturge and I. It was our first home. And then I just thought, you know, when my kids are getting to an age where this would be good for them to be around it, maybe going into school and stuff that I would start it. And so I started a little bit sooner than I anticipated originally. But um, it actually ended up being good timing because it was right before the pandemic. At least we kind of gotten our feet off the ground a little bit. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And it's going really well now. It's been, we've been greatly successful. We're, we're completely full. Cool. Um, we made it through a pandemic, Yeah. which was hard. There was a lot of, um, hospice. Mm. A lot of people were not placing people, you know, their parents, their loved ones, um, long term. Mm. Mm. because I mean, can you imagine leaving your mom or dad in a home where you can't really go in and see them? Oh God. They might end up with something that might kill them. You know, it's just oh. like the things were different at that point, especially. So we were in a pretty severe lockdown over there. Um, not a lot of families coming and going. I mean, that's, this is what the state tells you you can do. Right. So we bought iPads doing all the things we could do. We had loved ones coming to windows, you know, things like that. The one great thing is that I had my kids who weren't in school. So I could at least go over there with my kids and have spend the night parties with the residents and watch movies. And they got kid cuddles Yeah, and the kids loved it. Yeah. They had really strong relationships with some of the elderly we had there at the time. And so it really, the kids, that relationship really got everybody through mm. what was going on. Cause you know, if you can't see your loved ones, like right. what's not, what's better than like a dog and children, you know, right. <laughs> like, right. is so it hospice pets. care? 
We do everything from a slight decline through end of life care. Wow. So we have various levels of care going on, um, wow. all within one home. It's just a small, uh, four bedroom family home. Wow. So it's just really modern, cute and homey. Yeah. And, um, more like one-on-one care. So not like mm-hmm. going into these big box kind of places, right? you know, and these people are here a long term, so they get to know each other. They're more like family. Wow. Um, Holy so, shit. Yeah, it's it's a great environment. We have dogs. My you know my caregivers there. They bring their dogs from home, and their dogs are there hanging out with everybody when they bring great. their dogs. And when yeah. my kids come, my kids come, and you know the closer that they get with some of the, the residents there and stuff like that, you yeah. know they they're building bonding relationships. And wow. we go bring live music there and cool fitness and stuff. So it's great. You know, I had this idea. Actually, it was after. I interviewed my parents for the podcast, you know, um, thinking about a way to capture stories from older generations, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, because those stories, you know, kind of, I want to hear it from their voice. I want to hear their point of view. And I wonder if there's a way to collaborate and, you know, bring this very simple rig and, and have conversations you know, mm. just where did you grow up? You know, or not a, not necessarily musical related, but let's yeah. can we capture their story for their family? Totally, that would be amazing. You know, what's funny because um, just as a person, I've like picked up some of these sorts of books for my my parents and my kids and mm-hmm. things like that. There's like things you can get where I'm like, I just want to know. You know, at this point in our lives, your legacy and your family's legacy is so important that you you realize at some point that there's so little that you know about your, your parents and mm-hmm. your grandparents mm-hmm. and the people that matter. And then once you start having children, you start thinking about mm-hmm. all of that and that being passed down and who's taking care of gathering these stories, who's getting this information. And if we don't talk about it, like who, what gets lost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. along the way. So what a valuable thing to have i mean now they're writing books and things to do that but like yeah right. what a valuable thing to have but those what stories I, but what i i, I want to hear it in their voice yeah and that's i think powerful. that that's more more powerful than say a book or an yeah. essay or whatever oh yeah absolutely hearing like you know i would want my grandkids to hear my father's voice right. you know what i'm saying in, yeah. in, in, in his words and anyway, m- maybe this is something that we, that we should rap about, but, um, I'm, I'm, I feel like, you know, just doing this podcast has proven to me, you know, even, even looking back, you know, some of the first episodes, how times have changed in two years, a year and a half. Yeah. Now let's talk about 50 years and how those conversations will have changed, you mm-hmm. know, and just the logistics of day-to-day life and what was inspiring and 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 what was important and you know all these things but having a record you know and you can we can bring in families like we can do multiple with four microphones with family members here and and we could edit it down and have a really valuable piece of their history you know it'd be cool if you want to do it as a like a trial run and, and use my place. Yeah. Seriously. It would be so fun to be like, let's put together a little thing and, and whoever wants to participate, yeah. like that the loved one and their family yeah. 
because they would have this valuable experience yeah. and you just have that piece of history. If you wanted to send them like a sheet with a couple questions they could pre think right. about we just in that. case, you know yes, what I'm saying? Course. Cause that would give them a minute just to think about it. And then if they were slow with their response, um, ideas they would have something in front of them mm-hmm. that they'd already written that they could you could hear in their own voice mm-hmm. too which would be amazing mm-hmm. especially depending on you know right. where they're at with stage, everything yeah but um, i think whatever you could capture would be so powerful powerful yeah. for their families to have yeah crystal appreciate you hey appreciate you too man thanks for all your time what you. um what's next for you guys what's what's 2023 looking like for you wow well um any more tunes Dominic Provenz and Well, Dom- funny you should speak about Dominic Provenzano. Provenzano, <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I love that. We're guy. back in the studio again, and actually oh, nice. this time we're we're collaborating uh, collaborating on some stuff. So he and Jay oh, Allen, I've heard of him, and myself. Oh, dream team. We've uh, we've done a couple of collab rights lately, so oh. this has kind of been exciting. Cool. So we'll see what happens. It kind of came just. I know we're like, let's get together and write some tunes. It started from one and it was fun. So let's do it again. It's fun. Love it. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But, uh, and where can people find out what you're doing mm, on the interwebs somewhere? On the interwebs. They can find me. They can find the waters music, anything. Dot com. Dot com the waters dot music. Edu. Dot org. <laughs> edu. Dot org. Clearly. <laughs> Dot TV. I don't know what you guys are doing. Oh, you Good. know about all of them, clearly. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And, and, all the and, good places. And still clearly. performing out and, and, and mucking it up with us. Still mucking it up. Still yeah. in the, mucking up the Irish pub oh, on occasion. On yeah. On occasion, you got to you know muck what? it up in an Irish pub. I just, every once in a while, it's like no expectations. Yeah. I go and I show up on Tuesdays and... You never know what you're going to get. And that's one a, of those. at the Dubliner. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I, I've seen you guys there a bunch. I, I even think I mucked it up with you guys on a Tuesday or a Sunday. I forget. But um, I'm, 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 I'm inspired by you guys. I'm, I feel like a sense of pride <laughs> for you guys. Well, maybe it's, uh, it's uh, misplaced in the sense that I have no stake to your uh, fantastic success, but I do feel like I saw you guys kind of at this, at these, at this beginning stage and, and you inspired me and, and you guys continue to inspire me because you continue to make good music and, and be professional and have fun and, and just do good shit. So love you guys you and Sturge, dear friends of mine. And, and I, I hope to hear more of your original music and let's fucking get Sturge off the couch and, and start making some music. Cause what is he, what is he doing? Is he just, he just what, walking yeah. around in a long coat. I don't know what he does. Yeah. He's probably got a robe on and, and a robe on yeah. and just doing the dude just thing. Walking around with awesome hair or something. <laughs> He does have awesome hair. I know it's it's what not fair. It's not fair when your husband has better hair than you. It's really hard. It's really hard. He's so handsome. Oh, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for. <laughs>